All right. I want to say a big hello to everyone joining us online today. Uh, so thankful, especially in the winter time, that that people can join online. I know two Sundays ago, I think we had half our congregation online because of the big snowstorm. But it's such a joy to be together, um, both uh, with our with our group that's online as well as everybody in person. And um, we're continuing our series and study in the life of David. And uh, so I'm looking forward to sharing uh, a story and an experience today from the life of David. And as Sarah talked last week, she talked in a message about the called the messy middle. She talked about David's wilderness wand wanderings and how he wandered in the wilderness for, for 10 years and uh, or estimated 10 years uh, when he was running for his life, running from Saul. And then at the end of that wilderness time, um, after Saul dies, then he um, he is um, established as the king uh, in Israel. And so there's that time period. So the story I want to look at today is a story right at the end of his wilderness years. It's the last story we have recorded of David and his, his crew in the wilderness uh, before Saul dies and before they become king. Uh, and this is all recorded in 1 Samuel 30. And um, I've titled this message today, Compassion in Crisis. And um, one of the unique things about this story, um, David and his crew, uh, for the last 16 months prior to this story, had been living in the land of the Philistines. And if you think about the Philistines, they were enemies of Israel, but they were living uh, in the Philistine land in a, in a town called Ziklag. And during that time, um, they weren't being attacked by Saul. They had relative peace uh, because Saul didn't want to come into the Philistine territory. So they were living in this town of Ziklag, and then they were doing raids. Uh, uh, they were kind of doing tribal raids against enemies of Israel. Uh, but this is the town they were living in. And the setting of this is the Philistines and Israel are now going to go to war. And they're all mobilizing to go to war. And, and now David's in a little bit of a quandary, like, well, I really am going to be king of Israel, but I'm living in the land of the Philistines. And the Philistines are like, come fight with us. And they're like, okay, we'll come fight with you. And on, on the way to the battle, other, the other uh, generals, the king of, of the Philistines are like, yay, we've got David who's going to fight with us. And the other Philistine people are like, wait a second, isn't this guy, he could turn on us. This isn't a good idea. So the generals of the Philistines were like, no, we don't want David. And so David and his men, they were mobilizing to go to battle. Uh, they had traveled away from their home and, and uh, the Philistines are like, no, we don't want you. And Israel didn't want them. And they're like, go back home. So the setting of this story, David and his, his crew of 600 um, uh, men that were in, in the, in the uh, army with him are headed back to their town of Ziklag. It takes them three days to travel. They, they had been at the, the front lines of the, of, the, of the battle. They're traveling back. It takes them three days. And when they get back in their hometown of Ziklag, it's been burned down. Their families have been kidnapped. Their resources and everything have been stolen. And they arrive back after a three-day march and everything has been decimated. So that's the setting of this first Samuel 30 story. And as I was reflecting on David's time in the wilderness, this is kind of the first time that there's this direct catastrophic event that happens to David and his team. 
If you think about it, David's been running for his life from Saul and he's been escaping and the Lord has been protecting them. And the Lord has been telling him, go here and go there. And, and they've had this kind of great run of 10 years. It's been wandering and it's been difficult and it's been hard running for their lives, but they've, they've not had any sort of catastrophe or crisis that directly affected them until this event. So what happens? This disaster, this crisis, this attack, this loss, it hits their community. And David seems to now be held responsible. It's an interesting experience. Um, People are wondering, why was our town left unprotected? Why, Why has this happened to us? So we see David now, we see the people of David in this crisis time. And that's where I want to pick up the story in verse 3 of 1 Samuel 30. It says this, when David and his men saw the ruins and realized what had happened to their families, they wept until they could weep no more. David's two wives, um, Ahinam and Abigail, I didn't practice their names, sorry, uh, were among those captured. David was now in great danger because all his men were very bitter about losing their sons and daughters, and they began talking of stoning him. So this is the beginning of this story, this close-knit community, this band of warriors, this group. If you recall, they had all gathered in the cave of Adullam, and they were They were the discontent and the, um, they were the down and out and they started forming this band and they started traveling together and they started growing and people were gathering to them and, and David was their hero and David was their recognized next King. And now they're devastated. Somebody needed to pay for this loss. Who is responsible for this crisis? David went from hero to zero. We've heard that phrase, right? He goes from hero to zero. All of a sudden, all of this had cost them a lot. Everything had fallen apart. People were, in the words there, it was like people were bitter of soul. And in that moment, they didn't know what had happened. They didn't know, um, had we lost everything? Were, were our families dead? Were they still alive? What had happened? They didn't know what was going on. So this is our story today. How does David and his group of people respond in the midst of crisis? And I want to explore that theme and something that we see and hopefully something that we, in studying the life of David, and as we look at David, we also look at David as many characteristics we see reflected in the life of Jesus. How can, we, how can we better understand the heart of God? And how can, how can the Lord help us in our times of crisis? With this uh, tomorrow being a recognized holiday where we, we remember Martin Luther King Jr., I, I have a couple of quotes from him that, that I just want to um, include in my message today. And, and this one seemed fitting and appropriate for this story. It says this, He said this, the ultimate measure of a man is not where he stands in moments of comfort and convenience, but where he stands at times of challenge and controversy. I would say David is finding himself and the people of his team are finding themselves at a time of challenge. So let's continue to read and see what happens next. Caleb, could you put up the next scripture for me? 
So I want to reiterate the end of verse six here. It says this, David was now in great danger because all his men were very bitter about losing their sons and daughters. And they began talking of stoning him. But David, and this is how the verse ends. It says this, but David found strength in the Lord, his God. I want to pause on that phrase, the end of that scripture there for a minute. And I want us to think about this and, and wrestle with this a little bit. In other translations, it says, David strengthened himself with trust in his God, or David strengthened himself in the Lord, his God. How do we respond when crisis hits? When we're shocked, we're stunned, we're surprised, we're devastated. It doesn't really describe what David did. It's a very nebulous statement, but David found strength. And the Lord, his God, what did he, what did he do? How did he do that? Obviously he's, he's feeling this um, catastrophe and this crisis on a personal level. His family is gone and he's feeling it on a personal level. Like, I think I'm being held responsible for this and people want to stone me. And he's feeling it on a leadership level of like, okay, I'm the leader of this crew, of this ragtag group, of this group that's been wandering together in the wilderness. Is this the end? Is this how it all falls apart? What, what do I do? What do I do now? I was thinking about David writing Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want this Psalm of comfort that we think about a lot. And in verse four of it, of that Psalm, it says, even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid for you're close beside me. I wonder when David wrote Psalm 23, if maybe he had this experience in mind. I'm walking through a darkest valley. I will not be afraid because you're close beside me. Is this, is this where David's strength came from? Is this how David started to, to gather strength and trust in the Lord? Did David understand as a shepherd that the shepherd's not going to leave? Even though everyone else is leaving, even though everyone else is against him, even though everything else is happening, the Lord is his shepherd. That verse goes on to say, your, ra- your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. And is that how he received strength was realizing, man, the Lord is protecting me and comforting me. I think about what would I, what does it mean to strengthen ourselves in these times? What does it mean? I think about Jesus. The disciples asked Jesus, Jesus, teach me to pray. And it's interesting. I love the Lord's prayer because he starts with our father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And you start with this perspective of who God is. You start this perspective of, man, our God is in heaven. Our God is holy. Our God is mighty. Your kingdom come, your will be done. And and you wonder if if that kind of prayer is raising up in David. You're my shepherd. You're going to protect me. You're going to comfort me. You're with me. Is that how David strengthened himself? For us, how do we strengthen ourselves in the Lord? Think about times that you've, encountered crisis 
or bad news or difficulty. You've been laid off. You've got sickness or you've heard it. You've got sickness to deal with. You've got death to deal with. How do we respond? It doesn't even say that David prayed. I like that. It says he strengthened himself in the Lord. It doesn't say that he prayed. That comes next. He wasn't in problem-solving mode. He wasn't trying to come up with solutions. He wasn't trying to change his circumstances. He was, he was just discovering strength in the Lord. How do, we, how do we strengthen ourselves in the Lord in the midst of really difficult circumstances? Eugene Peterson says this about this experience. He says, catastrophe brought out the best in David. In the chaos of lamentation, anger, and bitterness, with storm clouds of murder rolling in across the horizon, we come to this wonderful line, but David strengthened himself in the Lord is God. Eugene says, David prayed, David worshiped. He didn't like, I don't know about you, but when I'm experience these kinds of things, maybe what I do is I start consulting things, consulting social media, consulting friends, consulting, like, is it really this bad? Is this really what's going on? I, st I start trying to strengthen myself in all sorts of things that will not give me strength. You've you hear in, in crisis times, there's these responses of natural responses that are built into us. We fight or we flight or we freeze. I think I'm a free, I freeze first, just so you know about me. I might, if, if, if I get surprised, you might, I might not fight you, um, but I would freeze first and then I might flight and then I might fight later. That's my order of priority in how I respond. Um, I'm also challenged by David because it, it looks like it took him hours to get to this place. I don't know about you. When I hear difficult things or when I experience crisis or challenge, I need like days and weeks. I don't, I'm not this resilient, you know, and we don't have a time lapse of what happened with David. Like, oh, he sees this and, oh, he's going to get stoned and, oh, I'm going to strengthen myself in the Lord. Like, I don't know. Did all that happen in 12 hours or I don't know what the timeline is, but I'm pretty sure I'm not that resilient in my life. <laughs> I, can, I wanna be, I wanna respond that way. I seem to need days to wrestle with God, to question, to complain, to whine. And then I think I come to this place of being strengthened in the Lord. David's a challenge to me, a good challenge to me. How can I strengthen myself in the Lord? David's a lot more mature than me. He's not denying the gravity of the situation, but he seems to be able to come to a place of trust in the Lord in the midst of a difficult situation. I think sometimes what we try to do is we try to get spiritual and say, oh, the Lord's got all this figured out. It's really not as bad as we think. It actually might be as bad as you think. That's it's probably as bad as you think or worse in my, in my crazy way of thinking. So we try to hyper have hyper faith or hyper rationalization. It's all going to work out. It's all going to work out. We don't know that. Don't, we don't strengthen ourselves in those things. We strengthen ourselves 
in who is God, remembering who is God, who is God, who is God, and who are we? We're beloved. We're sheep that he wants to protect and comfort. We're those he walks through the valley of the shadow of death with us. He doesn't leave us. He doesn't forsake us. It's as if the first thing David does is he aligns his heart, his mind, his emotions to orient himself to God and say, Abba, Daddy, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. So from this place in which David orients himself to the Lord, he then moves into prayer. He then inquires of the Lord. And we'll look at that in just a second. But I was thinking of that scripture in Philippians 3. You know, Paul, this guy encountered a lot of difficulty, imprisonments, stonings, betrayals, challenges, issues. And he writes this in Philippians 4, verse 6. He says this, don't worry about anything. If I was David, I had a lot, he had a lot to worry about right there. Paul says this, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and your minds as you live in Christ Jesus. I want to pause there for a second and think about this. I almost see David as like he strengthened himself in the Lord and he came to this peace, this peace which exceeds anything we can understand. He shouldn't be at peace right now. His family's been taken. His city's been burned. His life is being threatened. He shouldn't be at peace right now. But he comes and he thanks the Lord for what he's done. He recognizes the Lord. So in crisis, how can we come to a place of strengthening ourselves in the Lord? Aligning there. I was thinking about an analogy with Sarah and I. If we're dealing with something in our family that's a crisis, raising our kids, making a decision for our kids, sometimes we can be arguing and disagreeing and that can actually cause more problems than trying to solve the solution. And so sometimes we have to say to ourselves, now we're good, right? We're good. And it's like, oh yeah, yeah, we're good. Okay. From that place of Sarah and I, we're good. Now let's do something next. And I feel like that's where David and the Lord are right here. He strengthens himself in the Lord. He's like, Lord, we're good, right? We're good. Yes, we're good. Okay, now let's go. Let's pray. Let's inquire of the Lord. So the next verse, it says this, verse seven, then David. So after he strengthened himself in the Lord, it says this, then David said to Abathar, the priest, please bring the ephod here to me. And Abathar brought the ephod to David. So David inquired of the Lord saying, shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he answered them, pursue, for you shall surely overtake them and without fail recover all. He asks, he comes into this place of inquiring of the Lord. It says in 1 Samuel and in 2 Samuel, this phrase, David inquired of the Lord, is, is repeated nine times. 
the, the writer of first Samuel and second Samuel was intentional about saying, this is who David was. David inquired of the Lord in this circumstance, David inquired of the Lord in this circumstance, David inquired of the Lord. David was always inquiring of the Lord. He first strengthened himself in the Lord. The second thing in the middle of crisis, he inquired of the Lord. And what I love is that he's not asking for reassurance about his identity. I don't know about you, but sometimes when I start inquiring of the Lord, I'm like, why are you doing this, God? What's going on? Do you not like me anymore? Uh, did I do something wrong? Did I screw up? We start asking the wrong questions when we start inquiring of the Lord. Do you do that? I do that. We can, we can ask the wrong questions as we inquire of the Lord. David wasn't trying to be reassured about his identity. Like, does the Lord love me or not? Has the Lord left me or not? Did I screw up or not? Those are not the questions. He had strengthened himself in the Lord. He came confidently. Sometimes we pray from a place of trying to figure out what God is doing or figure out why God is allowing something. Instead, David's like, what do we do now? What do we do now? He had strengthened himself in the Lord. He knew who the Lord was. He knew who he was. He's like, what do we do now? That was a better question. Graham Cook wrote a little book on prayer. He said this, in my experience in churches and friendships, I've seen that we pray too soon. And we usually pray in unbelief. We find ourselves praying out of shock or trauma of the situation itself. And we pray out of our panic, our worry, our anxiety, our concern. So we just start praying like, God, fix this. Magically, you come do this and do that. And, and we're, we're responding first out of that. And I love that David's inquiry of the Lord, his prayer to the Lord was first after strengthening himself in the Lord coming to a place of peace. If we don't take time to strengthen ourselves in the Lord, then we're not going to be focused on what is the Lord actually saying in the midst of the circumstance. The strengthening process gives us clarity for how to pray next. Instead of praying to find God, we're praying from a place of being with God. David was strengthened in the Lord. He's praying from a place of being with God, not trying to find God. I love this. The other thing David does is he includes someone else. You know, we think, man, David, a man after God's own heart. I love that he, he calls the priest. And, you know, back then they had all of these, these garments, this ephod, and he brought that. And uh, we don't really do that today. I wish I had a good analogy for you as to why we, I don't know what that means. I'll just leave it there. But the idea is that he calls the priest and he's like, let's inquire the Lord together. I think it's vital. We see while David was a man after God's own heart, he still needed to engage with someone else in his inquiry of the Lord. We weren't in the room. We don't know what happened, but I think that they were seeking the Lord together. I think they were inquiring of the Lord together. And when you do that, when you're inquiring of the Lord together, 
I feel like they started asking a better question in their prayer. Lord, they get very specific in their prayer. They're not like, Lord, what do you want us to do? They're like, the question was, Lord, should we pursue them? It's a very specific, Lord, should we go after them? You start getting the idea that they're, they're praying with the answer already. The Lord was like, yeah, I want you to go after them. And they're like, Lord, we're going to pray that. Lord, should we go after them? It was like, as they were strengthened in the Lord and spending time with the Lord, they were already in step with the Lord. And the Lord's like, yeah, go for it. Should I chase them? Will I catch them? David's asking for direction. What do I do next? He's not asking for strength or encouragement or confirmation about his identity. David's being specific. The Lord loves us to ask for direction in community with one another. You know, the gifts of the Holy Spirit that we talk about, gifts of discernment, wisdom, prophecy, knowledge. Those are all things that the Lord has for us today to use in operation. The Holy Spirit uses that in operation with one another. I know in my life, there have been several seasons of my life where it's like, man, I need to bring this inquiry. I need to inquire of the Lord and I need some other people to inquire with me especially when there's heavy emotion tied up in it, heavy crisis tied up in it. You need other people to say, you're asking the wrong question. You're not asking there. Let's ask a better question. When we, we can help each other ask the right questions of the Lord. The Lord desires us to ask him for direction. And he loves that we rely on the gifts on the gifts of the holy spirit that are in one another. And it doesn't mean I can't strengthen you for you. I can give you encouragement, I can give you words, but you have to also learn how to strengthen yourself in the Lord. Strengthen your identity in the Lord. I was um listening to a a worship leader guy in England talk about experiences of, of health with his father. And he got a call and I I've had these calls. I'm sure some of you have had these calls, um, come to the hospital. It's doesn't look good. And he was talking about this experience with his dad and he, it's that crisis phone call. It's that, Oh no phone call. And he's on the way and he's, he starts inquiring of the Lord. And the Lord's like, man, you need to pray for healing when you go. That's what you need to pray for. And he starts just, start, the Lord just giving him direction, like pray for healing as we go into this place. And that was what the Lord was speaking. And long story short, the, the, his father recovered and there was healing and there was life and, and there was encouragement. And then he went on to tell the part B of the story. And he said, a year or two later, I don't know how many years later it was, he got the same phone call. And he's driving in the car and he's wrestling with the Lord and he's inquiring of the Lord. And he, and he feels the Lord say, I'm going to be your comfort in this season. And he's like, oh, that's not really what I want to hear. Um, I like the, the contending for healing part. I don't like this comfort part. And his dad passed away. You know, there's Ecclesiastes talks about there's a time and there's a season for everything. There's a time and there's a season for everything. And there's a time to contend for healing and see the, and walk into that. 
And there's a time to recognize that this isn't going to turn out the way I would want it to turn out, but I'm still inquiring of the Lord and the Lord is still speaking and the Lord is still with me. He's protecting me and bringing me comfort. He's still with me. Let's pray and inquire of the Lord together. In this case, in this season, in this time, the Lord's message was go after them. Surely you're going to recover everything. So David and his 600 men, they set out. So I don't know how that went. Like, did he negotiate with the people that were trying to stone him? Like, hey, the Lord said we should go for it. And they're like, yeah, well, we're not trusting you as much as we used to be trusting you. I don't know what that process was. But David strengthened himself. He inquired of the Lord and the Lord said, go, you're going to recover everything. So they start out. And the second part I want to focus on is compassion. Because what happens is it's not just about going after and recovering what's been lost. It's also, how do you do it? How would David and his his crew go out. What, what would we see in the character of how they go out? Well, we see this quickly. They start, they set out. And as they do, all of a sudden we see another dynamic of play. What kind of King would David be to those around him? Cause all of a sudden the rules have changed. His men wanted to stone him. Things are not, it was like, God, things are good this way, but things are not good this way. You know, my relationship with you, Lord, is really good. My relationship with this whole 600 people is not great right now, but let's just go. So they strike out after dealing with God. How would David deal with the others? Notice David didn't tell people to stay behind. He didn't say, well, you wanted to stone me, so you guys have to stay. They all went, kind of like Jesus's crew of a betrayer in his crew. They all went. We're all going. He doesn't try and address these responses. Perhaps a lesser leader, a weaker king, perhaps someone like me would, would be like, no, you guys aren't loyal anymore. Let's not do this. There could be a rift, but they move forward. David, David has this opportunity in here to how does he treat the people around him? In crisis, we don't all act very nice. I don't know about you. When we're in the midst of trauma and crisis, we can be really, we're, we're, we're thinking about ourselves and we can strike out and we can hurt other people. Another quote by Martin Luther King Jr. He said this, darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. I think you see in this story, when you start looking at David, you, you see multiple opportunities in this story for him to respond in a dark way. He's got darkness coming against him and he's got multiple opportunities and he doesn't. He responds in compassion. But it says this, they start pursuing and then all of a sudden 200 of the 600 are too exhausted to go on. They've been marching for three days. They experience traumatic loss and they get a little ways and they get to this place called the Brook of Basor. And they, and they have to cross this area and it's difficult. And a third of the group are like, we are too tired. We are exhausted. We can't go on. Man, and David is like, okay, you guys stay here. You rest. You rest. I was thinking, I wrote this down. The risk of rest. 
man, I don't want to be that person that, that rests, but sometimes I'm too exhausted to go on and I need to be that person that rests, that person that says, man, I want to pursue all, I want to go recover all, but I'm tired. I think we start seeing this compassion emerge in David. He's not a tyrant. He's not a driver. He's not saying, well, if you don't go on, then you're not a part of us anymore. He's leading these people. He's accepting their limitations. Love's covering over. He might consider them a multitude of sins, but I would say, man, people are tired. Saul, on the other hand, who he's going to replace, was willing to kill his own son. He was, he was a harsh taskmaster. David is like, yes, you rest. You stay here. Oh, and great. We're down a couple hundred people. We'll, we'll keep going. We're only 400 now, but we're going to go. I was talking to someone at work the last two weeks. They, they're changing their job. And they had to tell, tell me that they were quitting the team. And they said, you know, um, it's, it, I was in a sales training, and it said that people feel the loss of something much greater than they feel the gain of something. And I, and I, you can see that in this group of people. It's like, man, they feel loss. We as people feel loss so much more heavy, so much more emotionally than we feel gain. David doesn't lash out. David doesn't forget his humanity in his own crisis. He's still able to, to have compassion and recognize humanity. I was reading in Luke 6 earlier this week or last week. And I was reading, reading a familiar passage of Jesus in his Sermon on the Mount. And he's talking about loving our enemies. And I want to read, starting here, Luke 6, verse 35. Jesus says this, love your enemies, do good to them, lend to them without expecting to be repaid. Then your reward from heaven will be very great and you will truly be acting as children of the most high. For he is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. You must be compassionate just as your father is compassionate. And that last, that phrase at the end of verse 35, for he is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. I was like, I had to reread that and reread that. I was like, wait a minute. God helps those who help themselves, right? No, I'm just teasing. Um, like, how do we think about God? How do we think about God? It says that God is kind to the unthankful and wicked. Whoa, he's kind to me. I hope I'm not, I, I'm probably, I'm wicked and unthankful. Look at David's men in this situation. They're, they're unthankful. There's wickedness in the group. And you'll see it as you, as we finish this story. David's men might not have been his actual enemies, but they were acting unthankful and wicked, but he didn't treat them like other Kings would have. Leadership often involves leading people who don't like us or agree with us. That's just the nature of leadership. And this compassion gets tested. How would David respond? It gets tested again in the next part of the story. So they leave the 200 behind, they're pursuing, and now there's 400 of them, and they don't really know where they're going. And they stumble upon this uh, the, the, the Bible calls it an Egyptian slave who has had not had food or water for three days and come to find out in the story, this slave had been abandoned 
by the, the group that had raided their village and was sick and couldn't go on. And so the raiders who had uh, taken everything left this guy to die. And David's crew comes on this guy, this Egyptian guy, the Egyptians, and, they, and he feeds them, gives them water, gives them food. And the Lord uses this guy to tell them where all their families are and all their resources are and where the enemy is hiding out. David, this was, this was a slave who had been a part of the raiding army that had swept through their village. And there's this compassion that David shows. Maybe it was just compassion because they wanted intel out of him. I don't know. But there's compassion and they, they resuscitate this Egyptian back to life. And they find the place where their families are and their resources are. And it says this. They, they go in and just as the Lord promised, they recover all. They go in and do battle against the Amalekites is the name of the group. And it says this in verse 18 of this story. It says this, so David recovered all that the Amalekites had carried away. And David rescued his two wives and nothing of theirs was lacking, either small or great, sons or daughters, spoil or anything which had, had been taken from them. David recovered all. Then David took all the flocks and herds that they had driven before those other livestock and said, this is David's spoil. So now all of a sudden the story changes. He's a hero again. This is David's spoil. This is what's happened. Woohoo! There's been a recovery. There's been a recovery. And man, I think that's a good word for us as well. And might be in your life. Like, I think there are areas where the Lord wants us to recover things that have been lost, things that the worm has eaten, things that have been stolen from us. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. The Lord comes to bring life. And, and we can recover the things that are stolen from us. We can recover. And there's this recovery. And you see this, David returns. And the people are now saying, this is David's spoil. David doesn't view it that way. Man, David knew the fickleness of he was a hero and then they wanted to kill him. And now they've got the spoil. He's starting to get the idea like, okay, if it turns out good, then I'm a winner. If it turns out bad, I'm a loser. He's getting the idea. The story continues in verse 21. It says this, David returns to the brook of Basor and met up with the 200 men who'd been left behind because they were too exhausted to go with him. They went out to meet David and his men and David greeted them joyfully, but some evil troublemakers amongst David's men. So here we go again, some more evil troublemakers. These are the 400 that went with him to go. These are part of his crew. And the Lord is kind and compassionate to the unthankful and wicked, isn't he? They said this, they didn't go with us. They can't have any of the plunder we recovered. Give them their wives and children and tell them to be gone. Man, they're like, they didn't help out with us. You're dead to me. You rested. You were too tired. You couldn't do it. You're out. Man, aren't we, can't we be that way? David says this, no, my brothers, don't be selfish with what the Lord has given us. He has kept us safe and helped us defeat the band of raiders that attacked us. Who will listen when you talk like this? We share and share alike. Those who go to battle and those who guard the equipment, 
From then on, David made this decree and regulation from Israel, and it's still followed today. Those who go to battle, those who guard the equipment. I bet the people who were, they were like, I wasn't really guarding the equipment. I was just exhausted. But thank you for giving me a title and uh, validating my staying behind. But you see this generosity and this compassion in David. He's not He's not turning like for like. He's not treating darkness with darkness. He's coming in with something higher. He's coming in with the light and the love and the compassion of the Lord. He's generous to the undeserving. He's not like other kings. And then it goes a step further. The the last verse in this section says this. When he arrived back at Ziklag, back at their town, David sent part of the plunder to the elders of Judah who were his friends. And he said, here's a present for you taken from the Lord's enemies. He recovered even more so he could be generous. He could be generous to others. Man, David went at the beginning of this story from being stoned, everything was falling apart. Everything was coming to pieces. And at the end of this story, they've recovered more than they had lost. And their generosity was overflowing into other places. It's amazing what happened, this compassion in crisis. I think it's, it's David, this man after God's own heart. How does he respond in crisis? What does crisis bring out of me and you? Does it bring out bitterness, despair, selfishness, anger, blame, stinginess? How do we behave when we're the leaders? Do the, the, this story would have been, you could have told this story a different way. They lost everything. A ragtag band of people come together. They get rid of the 200 who can't hack it. They go get everything back and woohoo, there's your Hollywood film. Like there could have been an ends justify the means approach to this. And David is like, no, I'm not gonna repay evil for evil. No, I'm going to show compassion on those that are tired. No, I'm going to show compassion on the Egyptians. No, I'm going to show generosity to everyone who stayed behind. And the generosity is going to expand more and more. What a, what a Jesus way of thinking. What a kingdom way of thinking. The story of David is about compassion during crisis and recovery. Not only how does David respond in the middle of the crisis, how does he respond when there's been abundance and there's been recovery. One last quote here from Martin Luther King. I like this one. He says this, power without love is reckless and abusive. And love without power is sentimental and anemic. Power at its best is love implementing the demands of justice. And justice at its best is power correcting everything that stands against love. I love in the story of David, you don't see a passive David. You don't see a passive Lord. You see them going after this recovery, going after the things that the Lord wanted to have happen, fighting for one another, recovery of all of these communities and these families, compassion to those that are not showing compassion to him. This story is about compassion overcoming darkness not just winning a battle. Yes, the battle was won. The recovery happened. But how did it happen? What kind of king was David? Eugene Peterson says this about David. He had no interest in a security gained 
at the expense of the people with whom he lived. He wasn't out to save his own soul. He was, in a word, compassionate. So as we close today, I want to um, ask the Lord, how can, we, how can we learn? How can we tap into David's heart and David's leadership and love well? And, and I just had five things for us. Strengthen ourselves in the Lord. Inquire for direction. Walk in compassion. Recover all that's been lost and give generously. Those are the, those are some of the nuggets that I pulled out of this story in first Samuel. And man, hopefully the Holy spirit has spoken to you, some of your own. As we close today, we're going to have a prayer team over here. And that second item there about inquiring of the Lord for direction, man, I want to encourage the operation of the gifts of the Holy spirit in our community. The Lord wants to give you direction. And he uses one another to hear the Lord. And it doesn't mean that we go and you know, the Lord's going to confirm his voice. And it says in the word, you know, two or more. So, so let there be confirmation. Um, but let us be a community that can help inquire of the Lord. And sometimes help us ask the right questions. Because sometimes we're asking the wrong questions. We're not to ask. We might be asking the question, what have I done wrong? Or why does the Lord not like me? And the Lord's saying, I love you. You're my son. You're my daughter. This is the next question. Move on. Let's not have that question. Let's ask the next question. Let's ask good questions. And then the second one I feel specifically to focus on is recovering what's been lost. If there are things that have been lost that the Lord is like, I want to recover that in your life. David went with a band of 400 people to do that recovery. Let's go together. Let's pray. Let's ask the Lord. What does it mean to recover? Amen. Amen. So Lord, we thank you today. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you, Lord, that we can strengthen ourselves in this time of being with one another and being with you. Thank you that you strengthen us. Thank you that you bring us peace. Thank you, Lord, that you speak your word to us and you make it clear. Lord, we want to follow you with all of our hearts. We want to be people of compassion. We want to be people of action. Lord, we want to be people walking out the things you've given us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you're online and you need prayer, please send us an email. We'd love to um, pray with you as well. If you're in the room, um, go to our prayer table, receive prayer this morning. Find someone else in the room that you know would love to pray with you and inquire the Lord with you. Have an amazing week. Amen.